Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. One of the things I love about the Gospel of John is that John is willing to add a little bit of side commentary. He's willing to editorialize every so often, add a little bit of explanation of what he's writing, writing and why it matters. There are these little nuggets that he throws in there, not just to tell us what happened, but to tell us why. Moments when he says, when he stops talking simply about what happened, stops simply providing a historical record, but begins to speak to us, for those of us who are reading it, even now. And there are moments like that uh, where John addresses the readers of the scripture. He says, this is written for you. We have one of those moments in today's reading. I wonder if you heard it. But before we get to all that, let's talk about Thomas. I feel like he deserves a little bit more sympathy, don't you? I mean, what do we know about Thomas apart from what we just heard? Apart from this story, what do we know about the disciple named Thomas? Next to nothing, right? He is one of the most famous of all the apostles, right there behind Peter and John and Matthew and, and of course, Judas. He's definitely more famous than Bartholomew or James or the other James. He's more famous than Jude, and Jude wrote a book of the Bible. Thomas is more famous than him, and all because of this one moment which is pretty rough. One single moment made Thomas famous, and it's probably not the moment he would have chosen to be known for. He's only kind of famous as Thomas. In fact, no one actually calls him Thomas. We don't call him Didymus either, even though John says that was also his name. Instead, we call Thomas what? You all know who he is. Doubting Thomas, as if he's the only one, and as if his desire is not perfectly understandable. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like to come back to the room where all the disciples were after he had gone out to get a snack or wherever he'd been, maybe been off paying some bills, maybe been off to see someone he dearly loved. He comes back and he finds the disciples saying, we've seen the most incredible thing. We have seen Jesus. We have seen his wounds. He showed them to us. He's risen and he is alive and he is victorious. And Thomas wants to know, well, then why didn't he stick around? Thomas says, unless I see his wounds, unless I place my hand in his side, I will not believe. And what I love about this is that John goes out of his way to make sure that we know that Thomas is not asking for anything except for what his friends had already gotten. John tells us that Jesus showed them his wounds, showed them his side. That's all that Thomas wants. That's the part of the story that nobody ever seems to remember, that Jesus did exactly what Thomas wanted for everyone else, and all that Thomas wanted was to see what they had seen. And he wanted it not just that Sunday night, but he wanted it again on Monday. And then on Tuesday. 
And when he woke up Wednesday morning, that's still what he wanted. Just to see what they had seen. He waited with them all the way until the next Sunday. Eight whole days. We're told he sat there waiting with his fellow disciples for eight days. He did not give up. He did not run off. He was still there when Jesus showed up again. And for that, for waiting for eight days on nothing more than the testimony of some pretty unreliable friends, let's be honest, for waiting so patiently, we call him Doubting Thomas, as if it's a bad thing, as if he's worthy of derision, but in his doubt and in his disbelief, he stuck around for eight days. I can only imagine what kind of questions he would have asked the disciples. Now, tell me again, what did you say that he looked like? Are you sure that you saw what you said you did? He's just trying to find something to hold on to. Give me something to believe. Something that's true can be true. And for that faithfulness, for eight days, lingering when he had nothing else to go on, we call him Doubting Thomas. You know, we are not especially kind in this world. Not to those who show the faintest hint of doubt or wavering. It's not just in the church. It's not only in the scriptures. But it's all around of us that we want to see confidence and we want to see boldness. We want to see someone who does not waver. We have no time for flip-floppers. We'd rather our, be leader, our leaders be wrong than have them change their minds. We don't have much time for a basketball coach, right? Imagine your basketball coach comes to you at halftime and says, look, the team's probably better than ours. I put us at a 45% chance of winning if we go back out there. That might be honest. It might be true. But that's not what anybody wants to hear. Coach could say, I think our odds are 45%, but let's go out and give our best anyway because that's the right thing to do. And the coach would be right. And that still wouldn't be what we wanted. <laughs> it's not exclusive to this church, to the church, this tendency we have to privilege boldness and confidence and to treat them as if they are the opposite of doubt, as if the two things don't ever coexist. But it's especially true in the church because we talk a lot about faith. And that's what we have talked about. And we often talk about faith as if it's a kind of armor. If we have enough faith, then we'll be impervious. Nothing could ever cause us to doubt or waver or even fall. And that's often how we start when we start following Jesus. We start out with great confidence. I'm going all the way for Jesus. And then we hit a few bumps along the road. Something doesn't quite turn out the way we expected. We find ourselves saying, wait, hold up. I'm not so sure. Uh, I got this on the one hand and this on the other, and I can't quite make them line up. Can you wait with me for just a moment? Can you give me a day? Or eight. And sometimes we're afraid to ask that because folks have a name for folks who ask those kinds of questions. Call them Doubting Thomas. 
But when Jesus shows up, he says, peace be with you. And he not only welcomes Thomas, he not only appears to Thomas, but he meets Thomas entirely on Thomas's terms. He gives Thomas exactly what Thomas asked for. He appears in the middle of the disciples there with Thomas, and he begins by knowing what Thomas needed to hear. He says, here are my wounds. Come take your hand. Place it in my side. Jesus puts a lot of trust in the person we call Doubting Thomas. He invites him close. Says, draw near. He does not show up and show his wounds and say, what do you think of that, Thomas? Where are your doubts now? Instead, he says, here I am. I'll put myself in your hands. Come as close as you wish. The answers are here and nothing will be held back. He unbinds his wounds and makes it utterly transparent who he is and what he has suffered and how far he will go. And he does all that to put Thomas at peace. Which is exactly what we would expect Jesus to do. Once, long before all this, there was a man who came up to Jesus and his son was being racked by fits. He would wake up in the morning and he'd be overcome. He would throw himself on the ground. And every day the poor kid would fall screaming to the floor and crying out for help. And his father says, Jesus, I know you can set him free. And Jesus tells the man, I can if you have faith. Do you believe? And the Gospels tell us that the man replied, I believe. I believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. That's how Jesus handles faith. Told that when the man said that, Jesus stood there astonished and then set his man free. There was another time the disciples came to Jesus and they were frustrated that they couldn't do all the things that Jesus had sent them out to do. They weren't quite measuring up to their own expectations of themselves. And they came back to Jesus and they said, man, we have failed. They say, we didn't have enough faith. And Jesus says, don't you understand? If you had the faith of just a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, go to the sea and fall in, and it would be so. And when we hear that, that the faith of a mustard seed is enough, we often miss the point. We get so preoccupied with confidence, with boldness, with faith, that we tell ourselves we must not have enough. We must not even have the faith of a mustard seed. When Jesus was actually saying, our faith, does not have to be massive. But the merest kernel of faith is enough. If you have just enough to keep waiting, to keep seeking, to keep asking, that's more than enough for God to work with. And that's the best news I can imagine for you, Confermans, today. That just enough is more than enough for God to work with. This is one of the best days of my whole year, by the way. I love y'all. I'm so grateful for y'all. I know how much faith it took some of you to show up just on that first Sunday. You may or may not remember 
but I remember what your faces looked like when you walked into the confirmation class. Some of you did not know what to expect. Some of you did not know if maybe there was going to be a test on the first day. Didn't know if you knew enough to be there. Some of you didn't know if you would know enough people to feel okay. You didn't know if you'd know your way around the Bible well enough to know what we were talking about. And some of you had no such doubts. Let's be clear. Some of y'all walked into that first day of confirmation like you owned the place. Your faith, it's as varied as you are. And for what it's worth, I know that being here today is also an act of faith. For some of you, your family cut short a really great spring break. For others of you, you've got a team playing somewhere without you. And with all the wonderful and interesting things that all of you have going on in the world, you showed up here with the same kind of faith as Thomas. You had enough faith to show up. Enough faith to say, I want to press in. To know Jesus in the same way that you've seen from a parent or friend or mentor or whomever it is that's told you the good news. And you are here today to say what Thomas said to Jesus. My Lord and my God. You're here by faith. And maybe some of you wish your faith was a little bit bigger and bolder. Maybe sometimes your faith feels so big that you don't know what to do with it. Maybe it feels like too much. Your faith is as varied as you are. But trust me. It's enough. It's more than enough for God to use. More than enough for you to know God, to experience God, and for you to feel God's call in your life because that's the secret of faith. You can have all the faith in the world and that would still be nothing compared to the faith that God has in you. Did you catch the outrageous thing Jesus said? It was real subtle. The first time that he visited the disciples in this story we just read, he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He was saying, you can do what I do. You've been made for a purpose called for a purpose. And wherever you go, you carry that purpose that God has in place for you. For eight days, Thomas sat there wondering and worried if he had been forgotten. He wanted to see Jesus. He waited to see Jesus. He worried that, he might not be, that there might not be any point at all to all of this. But then Jesus entered that locked room and he did not just say, peace be with you. He did not just invite Thomas to touch his hands. He did something else. He turned all Thomas's worry into wonder. That's the comment John adds at the end, the one I mentioned way back at the beginning. The insight that John adds to help us understand what has been going on. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, signs that are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe so that you may believe. 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I hope you caught that. John had lots of stories he could have told. Jesus did all kinds of things. And out of all the stories John could have told, out of all the signs and wonders that could have made a difference, John tells Thomas's story. Because that is exactly the kind of thing some of us will need to find our own faith. And your story is going to do the same thing for others. Every so often someone comes to me and they say, I think God is calling me to be a preacher, to be a pastor. And whenever someone tells me that, I I tell them how glad it makes me. But I also tell them, you are already in ministry. You have a ministry right now that no one else can have. You bring Jesus into rooms that, well, y'all can go. Into rooms that are locked to me. There are some people who will find it hard to believe what I say about Jesus. Because in their minds, they're like, you're the preacher, you have to say that. But there are places that you go every day where people trust you, know you, believe you. There's something about you that can unlock the faith of a friend or a classmate or a teammate or a teacher that I'll never meet. And your faith, whatever size and whatever shape it is, is just the right fit for God to work. It's like your heart is the key that God can use to unlock someone else's heart so that Jesus can walk in. And as the Father sent Jesus, he is sending you. And we are so blessed that one of the places he has sent you is here, to this family of God. Your faith is enough to make our faith a little stronger today. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.